Oh, it's great to see you. Happy Easter. What a day. I'm excited to just celebrate this with family together today. And uh, if this is your first time at Fathom, I just want you to know how welcome you are here. Um, if you're visiting f- uh, family from out of town, we're, we're, we're so stoked you're here. And I just pray that this is a place when you're here for one day or for the rest of your life, that this is a place where you know you're going to be encouraged in your faith and you're going to have a real sense of family and community in this tight room which we're packed in today. And so I'm just excited. I know that God's going to encourage our faith today. It's all about Easter, man. I remember growing up at Easter and my mom would always dress us the same. And so my wife had to keep that tradition going because me and my brother are only 15 months apart. So me and both of my boys were all dressed the same today. So that's, that's fun. You got to keep that tradition going. Um, and, and so again, it's, it's so good to have you here. Uh, um, and we're just going to dive in today. Uh, I want to ask you a question and I think it's the question that we all have to answer, and it's the same question that they had to answer that day, those that experienced Jesus' empty tomb, and those that had put him in that tomb, the rulers and, and Jews, they had to answer the same question as, what do we do with an empty tomb? And I think even further, what does the empty tomb do to us? Because I think if, I, if we were really honest around this room some of us, it's been a long time since we felt alive. And I, don't, I know if I asked you, do you feel alive? You'd be like, yeah, man, my heart's beating. got that caffeine pumping in my blood. But I mean, I mean really alive. I mean, not just where you're breathing, but you feel the breath of God. A real sense of depth and calling and purpose and significance. And on Easter, it's a great day to just kind of step back and dive in to the depths of what we're all on this planet for. What are we even here for? Big question for Easter, right? We won't go, I'll try to keep some of the water shallow so we won't be getting exhausted swimming in deep waters the whole time. But um, it's a great time for me to take a step back and remember where I was before Jesus resurrected my life and to remember just the pain that I was going through and my search. They've been searching for that one plane for a long time, right? And they said the submarine that they sent out that would, it, it, it can't even get to the depths of this. And some of the stuff that we've been searching for, happiness and purpose and uh, meaning in life and acceptance, all those things we, that m- all of us search for, some of the submarines we've been sending out aren't deep enough to find what we're looking for. And I think in the cross and, and, and even today on the, with the empty tomb, we're going to find what we're looking for. And I believe that some of us are going to have a fresh start today. So uh, we're going to take this thing right into the, um, to, to back a, a few days and, and start with the, the, the cross and, and then kind of move forward to the resurrection. Kind of take the whole weekend of, uh, of the cross experience and the resurrection and just kind of walk through that today. And I just simply want to talk to you on what it means to live the resurrected life. That there is something of meaning and a life that God wants us to experience and encounter that many times we don't experience or have refused to experience. You know, so we're going to take it back to Friday. What's cool, really, really cool about the Bible is that it actually tells us what day it happened, and it tells us actually the time that Jesus was crucified. And so the Gospel of Mark actually tells us and walks us through the exact kind of time frame of everything, and it kind of went for, like, a, took me for a loop this week as I began to kind of compare the times, some things I had thought about Easter and resurrection and the cross were, were wrong, and we'll get into some of those, 
Um, and so first, it starts on Friday, and um, if you've been with the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at really uh, pain and grace, and so you can jump back on a podcast and catch those things up, but uh, today we're just looking at what it means to be resurrected, and that really means to revive something that is dead, but before something can be resurrected, we, it has to die. And so that, that Friday at 9 a.m., Jesus is crucified. Some of you that are more familiar with the story will kind of know about some of Jesus' pain leading up to. He felt, he, he told his disciples, closest disciples, that I was, I was kind of worn out and exhausted to the point of death. And, and he had been brutally beaten and tortured and mocked. And uh, the, 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 it's so intense. If you've never seen Passion of the Christ, it's an intense depiction of the pain that Jesus went through. And uh, that happens on Friday at 9 a.m. He's crucified. And and the scriptures tell us at 12 p.m., so right around noon, everything goes black and there's darkness for three hours. And then at 3 p.m., John tells us that Jesus breathed this last and he said, it is finished. So last week we looked at what Jesus finished. Um, But today we're really looking at this idea of resurrection, and before you can be resurrected, something has to die. So that that Friday for them was really what was called preparation day. Preparing for what? Well, it was preparing for Sabbath, because Sabbath would happen on Saturday. Sabbath was instituted by God for us to take a day off. I mean, you have to love a God that says, dude, take a day off. I love God for that, because within ourselves, and especially at their time where it was a scarce resource and environment, if you didn't work like you didn't eat, it wasn't like, let me run to Publix and pick up what we left off. It was if you didn't work, you didn't eat. And so within this, what Sabbath is all about is trust. And so we're going to get further into that. So preparation day was all the way leading up till 6 p.m. on Friday night. And I think for us, if we're going to look at what it means to live a resurrected life, we've got to have a preparation day. And, for like, and just like Jesus, that includes death. Like, you can't be resurrected unless you've died. And I think Paul put it really best um, in Galatians 5, 24. He said, those that belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. And so he he basically notes this idea of flesh and spirit, that all of us are in this battle between flesh and spirit. That the flesh, meaning that we desire to do what comes... um, almost comes naturally or whatever suits us best or whatever feels best. That's the flesh side of us. But you, you, you get in our culture, we, we want that to kind of be how we operate and everybody can just operate in their, in, in their flesh as much as they want as opposed to the spirit, which is doing what's right in the eyes of God and what's right thinking and right actions in his side. And, and so there's, we're all caught in this battle of flesh and spirit. And, and Paul says that those that are, are belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And Jesus took it a step further in in Matthew 16, and he said, you know, um, anyone that tries to save his life will actually lose it, but whoever chooses to lose his life will, in fact, save it. This battle between spirit and flesh, and so if we're going to be resurrected, we've got to die, and that begins with dying to the flesh is what Paul's talking about. Like, if we want to have a resurrected life, a life of, of meaning and significance and all the things we've been searching for and longing for and we haven't had answers for, there's got to be a death process. And in Jesus' case, it was, really, it was really short going to the tomb. But the, in this kind of first century Jewish society, it was a year-long process of mourning and grieving. So Jesus uproots, like, the process in his resurrection and I think for some of us today, God wants to uproot 
the process that we think we're on the track for in order that we might experience the resurrection and not only experience but embody it. And so we have to go through this preparation day if we're going to be resurrected, and that includes death, it includes dying to flesh. And there's a couple things about dying to flesh. One is that when you're dying to flesh and it's a painful process, when I talked about pain a couple of weeks ago, I quoted C.S. Lewis in, in his book, The Problem of Pain. It says that humans come into this world um, experiencing pain and causing pain, and they live this life causing pain, and many times we die in pain. Pain is something that we all experience and cause. And in that death process of, of crucifying the flesh, it's not easy. Our flesh doesn't die easy. But in that, we fellowship with Jesus in his sufferings, and his death. We fellowship with Jesus and we know his pain of what he went through for us. And then secondly, is that we're able to experience it in a deeper way and become more like him in his resurrection. So there's two aspects there. The one is that we're able to fellowship with him in his death and sufferings. And the second is that we're, we become more like him in his resurrection. That's the death process. That's day, kind of day one for us. And, and I'll tell you, the first thing that's got to be crucified in our life, those passions and desires, is pride. It's the number one thing. I think it's the first sin. I think it's going to be the last because Scripture says that every knee will bow. And it's a sign of humility to the one true only God. And I think it's the first and last sin. So today, if we're in this place, we need to look pride in the eyes and crucify it. And not just one time, but all the time. So there's that preparation moment. There's a preparation season. There's a preparation year that we've got to go through. And so to both encounter Jesus and know what he felt in, in the death and fellowship with him, but also to experience and become more like him in his resurrection. So that's, that's the process that happens with death. That's got to be what happens first in our lives. And so at 6 p.m., Sabbath began on Friday night. And so uh, I, for whatever reason, I ended up having the same Sabbath. Like by 6 p.m., I don't want to do any work. And for like really devout Jews, like this is like you don't even turn on the light switch. Like you don't do anything. Like literally, like do you know how hard that is to like not do anything, like not even turn on a light switch. I was watching a, a show on TV, on <clears throat> HGTV. <clears throat> I was watching a show on HGTV, <laughs> and, um, and there was this Jewish couple, and they wanted built-in timers so they wouldn't even have to flip the light switch. They were so devout about it. And, and, and so Jesus was in the tomb by 6 p.m. because they weren't doing anything after 6 p.m. Because law kind of, that's what, what they had to, to live under, and that's, that's what uh, it meant to trust God in that Sabbath. And so, uh, Joseph, between 3 p.m. Jesus dies, and 6 p.m. that he's in the tomb on Friday night, Joseph of Arimathea goes to the rulers and, and says, let me take his body so it'll be cared for and, and we'll have some honor because they've stripped him of his dignity, being crucified as a slave and a revolutionary. They, they've stripped him of his dignity in, a, in a, a society that's built on honor and shame. They shamed him to the point of a slave, to, of a revolutionary. And he comes and he wants to care for his body. And by the by, 6 p.m., he's in the tomb and begins Sabbath. And so this is where I kind of begin to do the math. And for me, I've always thought Jesus is in the tomb for three days, but really wasn't in the tomb for three days, and he wasn't dead for three days. 
when he, he was really only dead for like a maximum of like 39 hours between his resurrection, so like a day and a half. And I love that in Jesus's death, he honors Sabbath. Like even dying, like he's so serious about this. But the, the, what, everything of what Sabbath means is about faith. It's about saying uh, God instituted this and said, you know, within six days, I want you to trust me on that seventh and trust me that I can do more with that day than what you can do. And it set the week, the, the week coming forward in the right direction. And I think there's something huge about Jesus staying dead for Sabbath. Because he could have been resurrected immediately. A, he fulfills prophecy by waiting to the third day. For Jews, if you touched any part of the day, you touched all of the day. Uh, there's some references in, in Esther, because Jesus said, you know, very early on in his ministry, you know, you tear down this temple, and then he said this again at the end, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it. And he was talking about himself. Scripture clearly says that. He's talking about himself. And so this idea of Sabbath is all about faith. And if we look at the whole idea of dying to flesh, like the whole, like some of us are card-carrying Christians, like we've put it on our Facebook status and we drop good scripture quotes, but faith is not present in our life and it's just time we get real about it. And it's time we look it in the face and say, look, I call myself a Christian, but do I really believe? Because I think those people that follow Jesus, Mary of Magdalene and Peter and Thomas, even the doubter, he, during that Sabbath period, because the scripture tells us that even the disciples, they didn't even get the three-day thing. Like maybe we learned that in Sunday school or we've heard that talked about in pop culture. But the disciples, they didn't even understand. Scripture clearly says they didn't understand that Jesus would actually return in three days. In his physical body, he would be resurrected. They didn't quite get that. So when, when Jesus died, they're like thinking, what are we going to do now? I mean, can you just kind of put yourself in their shoes for a second of that Sabbath? That was like the longest time of, of their life of just pain and anguish. And like, okay, like, he told us all these things, and they're trying to put things together, and like, what do we do now? And some of us in our lives right now, we're in that place. We're in that place where our faith is being tested, and, and we've lost a job, or our marriage is falling apart, or we're losing a relationship with our kids, or you name it, and your faith is being tested. Because you can't see the end result. The end product's not finished in your marriage. It's not finished in you can't see the, and, and it's really the principle of Sabbath of are you going to trust me with your life or are you going to trust yourselves? And it's always pushing up against this. It's one of the most life giving principles of Tabith or Sabbath. And the other one to me, life giving principle, is, is tithing because nothing's more important to us than time and money. And both of those push us, look us right in the face and say, Are you going to trust me with your time? Are you going to trust me with your money? And that's, you know, within that, that operates in taking care of our family, and it pushes every bit of what we care about. And it's about faith. And faith is simply built when you can't see the final product. And it's tested when you're in the valley, in that time where it's all dark, and, and you don't know, like, what are, what are we going to do now? And that's when faith is really activated so there's this preparation day in all of our lives if we're going to live a resurrected life. And a life of, of, I say a life of Sabbath, not a day of Sabbath. With this principle that I'm going to trust you with my time. I'm going to trust you with my money. I'm going to trust you with my family, with my career. And, and it's only going back to Jesus' quote in Matthew 16 
that whoever seeks to save his life, to put it all together with your own hands, you'll lose it. But those that choose to lose it for my sake will, in fact, save it. So there's this death process in us of dying to flesh, and there's a there's a preparation that we're becoming more like Jesus in that. And then in Sabbath, it's pushing us right with faith. No matter what you're going through, no matter what's been happening in your, your life today, like can be a, a moment where the resurrected life begins. And so, hey, Kyle, like it's Easter. Like shouldn't we be talking about the tomb? Like, yeah, that's where we're going. That's where we're going. So let's, let's go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. You're going to look at verse 11. Jesus um, is resurrected by 6 a.m., by, by, by sunrise on Sunday, Jesus is resurrected. So again, about a day and a half, he was dead, he was resurrected. And he, he's, he's, when he says rebuild this temple, he's talking about himself, but he was also really deeply, philosophically, metaphorically talking about just the way that they thought his kingdom was going to be established. And he's uprooting it all. And we'll look here and get into the, really the next day. So after Sabbath would begin the first of the week, a new season. And we'll look here. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Uh, they have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't even know where they put him. Like, you see, she didn't even make the connection of, like, he's actually resurrected. She thinks that they've, like, moved him somewhere. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. Tears, you know how you get that cry face? Anybody got a cry face? Yeah, I got a cry face. My wife makes fun of me. Like, we're watching a show, and I cry. I mean, come on, I cry. And... And I'll just, I'll kind of like laugh or something to kind of laugh it off. You guys know what I'm talking about. Don't act like I'm the only one. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. I wonder if that might be deeper for some of us today. That we're thinking Jesus is just here to kind of do some work, little, little work for us, some side job work for us. But Jesus is more than the gardener. He just doesn't want to be a little part of your life. He wants your life to come through him. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him. She's talking to Jesus. Like, if you took Jesus, so help me God. Like, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Some of you need to hear your name today. Like you've been dead long enough. You haven't understood what it means to live the resurrected life long enough. Your faith's been tested. And maybe like Mary, you've thought he's a gardener that's just here to kind of prune up some shrubs and then walk out. But Jesus is more. And he wants to call you by name today. Every single person in this room today wants to call you by name. And it's when he calls us by name that we can truly experience. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He says, don't hang on to me. There's something comforting 
when we could like lay our hands on Jesus. But sometimes life's just not like that. It really takes faith. He's like, I'm going to leave. Like, if you get comfortable with me being here, like, you're going to be worse off. And so he get, tells her, go tell my brothers. There's a sense of get to the business. Like, tell them I'm alive. And I think God may be saying the same thing to us. Like, experience and encounter the resurrection so you can embody the resurrection going forward. Because Jesus will give the disciples a commission to go make disciples. He wanted them to live out his, his, the, the life to the fullest that he's called them for. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Can we go to John chapter 10? And I think this will kind of make some sense of, of what um, this whole idea of resurrected life. I'm the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill, kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This idea of life to the full and the resurrected life, what's it about? I think the resurrected life is about, it's the product of dying to flesh and faith in action. I, I, I think living it out on a daily basis and understanding what the resurrected life is about. It's dying to flesh, but it's also putting that faith that we say we have into action to a place where we can really embody what it means to live a resurrected life. And then secondly, I believe that the resurrected life is just Jesus living through us. And there may be a slight difference in this, but I always define it differently, is that I don't want to live through Jesus. I want him to live through me. Some of us, that's all we do is we just make it to the next week with a nice scripture. But I, I, I don't want to just like kind of make it through. I want life to the full is what Jesus said he came for and to experience the depths of his grace and his peace in the middle of that Sabbath day where my faith is being tested and I can't see the end product. I, I want to know life to the full and I don't know about you, but I'm guessing that there's places in your life, there's areas in your life where your faith is being tested, where you're having to look pride in the face and die to flesh. That battle is going on between spirit and flesh, and, but we want that resurrected life. And I think it's Jesus living through us as his followers and ultimately as the church. I think this is where Jesus is bringing us today is like, do we want to live life to the fullest? Like, I, we, we talk about that as almost like a pop cultural kind of, you know, phenomenon, but I, I think Jesus wants us to experience his resurrection so that we can embody it as the church, as his hands and feet here on this earth, to truly experience the resurrection. And I don't know where everybody's at today, but I know certainly across this room that there's just a great multiplicity of different things going on in our life, experiencing loss and pain and doubt and confusion about many things in life. But I want us to experience an empty tomb today. 
And, and, and I wonder just in this process that we might become his church, to become the city on a hill, to become the light in the darkness that he's called us to be as we walk through this process of, of dying to ourself and, and, and our faith being tested in the dark in the time where we can't see the end product and then ultimately understanding to embody what Christ has called us to do here and live life to the fullest, that he is the good shepherd. Maybe you're just walking in a dark time and you just, you need to find some pasture. You need the good, pe- the, the, the good shepherd just to lead you to some green pastures. Whatever's going on in your life, I just want you to know that the empty tomb has something to say to you. All of us. And it's just as much about us just saying, let the empty tomb do something to me as opposed to, like, what does that mean? Just letting, it, letting us experience it in life to the fullest. I just want to ask you to stand today. And I want to take a moment to just ask you, like, have you encountered Jesus before? And I, I don't mean just hearing his name, but I mean in the way that he's not a gardener anymore, but he's called your name. You can recognize who he is in your life. That he doesn't just want to be a small part, but he wants, he wants it all. Maybe you've been searching, and today's the day where the search ends. Not because we found him, but because he found us in our desperation. And I just want us to just close our eyes for a second and just search our hearts. And I think this can be one of the most powerful moments for you in your entire life, from start to finish. That if you're in this room today and you've never declared Jesus as Lord and Savior, today can, can be the day. Lord and Savior simply means that he's ruler over your life and that we have found ourselves in need of a Savior and he's the one who's made a way for us. God, I thank you for the work you're doing right now in this very moment. God, I pray that our hearts are stirred to encounter the cross, to encounter the death, to encounter the faith season, to encounter the resurrection that we might embody it as your children. They're going to lead us in a song, and I just want us to allow our hearts to be stirred and our affections for Jesus that we might experience him deeper and deeper. Let's worship.